Join me as I highlight small businesses in the craft industry with interviews on site at distilleries, breweries, and more. This podcast is all about getting to know the people behind the craft, celebrating their hard work, and of course, having a few samples along the way. Welcome to Crafted Conversations. In this episode, I traveled to Manassas, Virginia to visit KO Distilling and had the pleasure of sitting down with Peter Mowry, the distillery's director of sales. This is our 20th episode and we have so much more in store. If you like this conversation with KO Distilling and others like it, please give us a follow on social media and leave us a review and rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Our goal is to be the, the go-to craft platform showcasing amazing craft distilleries like KO, but we can only do it with your help. Now let's get to the episode. Enjoy. All right. Well, Peter, thanks for having me here at the KO Distillery in Manassas, Virginia. I'm happy to be here and be welcomed and ha- have some of your spirits. So thank you. You're very welcome. It's it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm excited to talk about KO Distilling and all the good stuff we have going on. Of course. I, I And to be quite honest, I moved here. I told you uh, via email, I, I moved here three years ago and I, I've had KO stuff off the shelf before, but I've I've never been here and I've seen pictures online. It's a beautiful space. Um and I'm glad this is finally a good reason to come out and talk to you and, and share some uh, libations. So tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, KO itself. Well, first of all, I'm glad that you're here. We we do have our products available in a variety of ABC stores across the state, so you can find our product readily available, but it is definitely an experience to come here to the actual distillery. Yep. We encourage people to do that. The weekend is the best time. Come and see us. Um, my, my story. So my name is Peter Mallory. Um, I have, uh, a bachelor's degree in business management from Virginia tech graduated, went into retail management cause I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, but I loved helping people and selling things. And at the same time I was a home brewer, right? Oh. <clears throat> so I was making my own beer and unbeknownst to me, I was kind of selling my own product, <laughs> not actually selling it, but t- telling people about it and evangelizing. And that's really a lot of what we do here at KO Distilling is we handcraft a lot of delicious spirits and then tell people why they are special, how they're made, what they're going to taste. And it's an experience, right? So as a home brewer, I was really happy. And as a retail manager, I was doing very well, but not necessarily what I wanted to do for the rest forever. Right. So in 2015, I found KO Distilling. They were looking for a customer experience director, uh, which I still maintain is the coolest title. <laughs> Uh, but that was the person who was leading the experience when you come to the actual distillery. Gotcha. So that's where I got my start here at KO Distilling in 2015. Um, I just celebrated my eighth year anniversary and I've worked my way up doing everything from sales and marketing to corporate operations. I'm now our director of sales. Um, but really what that means is I've seen everything from the ground up and I can tell you anything that you want to know about how we make our products. Um, as we go through today, you're going to learn that, you know, bare knuckle and KO Distilling, all of this has to do with handcraftedness, and we do everything from the ground up. We take the time to do things right, and I'm excited to kind of share that with you, what, what some of you might experience when they come to see us and, and what we're all about. But that's that's my story and a gist. Um, as far as KO Distilling, mm-hmm. KO actually stands for our two co-founders, Bill Carlson and John O'Mara. Both of them went to the United States Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point, New York, um, and uh, both knew each other during that time, but and were friends, but weren't necessarily the, the closest of friends. They interacted with each other. Both went off and did their own thing. They went um, into the nautical industry, sailed in the nautical industry, and were a part of the Navy Reserve. Cool. Both went into defense contracting, 
retired early, both as successful business people and said, well, what the heck do we do now? Let's let's start a distillery. So they kind of came back together through um, through a reunion uh, where they, they saw each other and said, yeah, I think, you know, craft distillation is on the rise. Um, it was kind of on the heels of the craft's brewing revolution, yep. um, which is kind of where my story took me as well. I wanted to do something within the craft alcohol industry. Um, and that's where I kind of came to KO Distilling in 2015. So the two of them, Bill and John, started in 2013, the, the company. It took two years to really kind of get everything up and running. So in 2015 is when we started producing spirits. Um, but KO Distilling obviously stands for Bill Carlson and John O'Mara. Those are the two co-founders. We like to say think knockout, right? And our, <laughs> our line of whiskeys, our predominant line of whiskeys is bare knuckle whiskeys. And that's a play on, on KO right there. So uh, that in a nutshell is where we got our start. Um, currently, we produce a variety of different spirits. We do wheat whiskey, rye whiskey, bourbon whiskey. In addition to bare knuckle whiskeys, we also have distiller's reserve whiskeys, which we'll get to try in a little bit here. Those are our bottle and bond, um, highest end, a little bit longer aged, uh, really beautiful. Both of those uh, distiller's reserve bourbon and distiller's reserve rye whiskey have won double gold in the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Very cool. And I'm excited for you to get to try those as well. Yeah, and you also have a uh, gin and a vodka, or just gin? So we don't do vodka. Okay. What we what we really wanted to do is kind of reflect our founders. So John O'Mara, uh, the O and K O, really uh, enjoys gin, right? He was a Bombay Sapphire drinker before he <laughs> made his own. Did a bunch of research, right? You got to do a lot of research when you start out, um, and tried a bunch of gins. Identified which botanicals he really enjoyed. Um, we we produced Battle Standard One Forty Two Navy Strength Gin, Standard Strength Gin, and Barrel Finish Gin. The one that's most popular and you can find the most the most readily is Navy Strength Gin. Um, in case you don't know, Navy Strength is a Brit British term, uh, which means it's a spirit that's proofed up to 114 proof. It's high enough in alcohol. If you spill it on gunpowder, you can still ignite the gunpowder. <laughs> so it has a nautical aspect to it, which also fits with our co-founders. Right. Um, but essentially if you take have uh, if you have heavy seas take damage in battle you still got to be able to use the gunpowder right. so our battle standard 142 navy strength gin if you spill it on gunpowder you could still actually utilize that um battle standard 142 the line of gins all still has the same botanicals it's just how it's prepared navy strength being 114 standard strength 90 proof and then barrel finished actually resting in a used bourbon barrel but they're going to have eight different botanicals juniper up front as it needs to be for gin um, you're going to have bitter orange peel and cinnamon. And those are the big three that you're going to get in that Battle Standard 142 Navy Strength Gin. But you're also going to have in there cardamom, coriander, grains of paradise, angelica root, and orris root. And so if you have a really good palate, you're going to detect kind of a subtle array of earth, spice, and floral notes in there. But I think a lot of people gravitate towards the Navy Strength because it is crisp and clean, big, bold, vibrant juniper up front, citrus in the middle, cinnamon finish. And I say this because we have lots of whiskey drinkers who come to us who leave with a bottle of gin and realize, hey, if this is gin, maybe I need to give this a shot. Um, one of the things that we like to do here is educate people. And there are different styles of gin, obviously, but um, we do a American dry style of gin, less juniper, more other botanicals. Whereas something like a Bombay Sapphire, as I mentioned earlier, is a classic London dry. It's going to be predominantly um, juniper. Um, and other botanicals are going to be a lot less. So we like to bring that American flair to it. Um, and, and you'd be surprised how many people become gin drinkers once they try our product. Well, I'll be honest. I'm kind of in that camp. I'm a big whiskey guy. I, I love whiskey and I, I, I 
you know, when I, whenever I think about gin, I think about drinking a, a you know pine salt or a Christmas tree. I hated that. And I started, you know, going to different distilleries and learning about a lot of whiskey makers. Just, I mean, white spirits sell faster and they're easier to make. You have to age it. There's lots of investment. So I found these gins that were phenomenal. And I fell in love with a gin down south in North Carolina at Fanning Goat Spirits. And they make a phenomenal gin. It doesn't taste like gin to me. So I enjoy it. But part of that is the craft and the experimental part process of these craft distilleries like what KO is doing is that you can play and do what you kind of want. And where the big boys are kind of tied to what, you know, so white label Jim Beam, right? And that's okay. But you have so much more room to play with different things. So tell me a little bit about, about that that craft process and how much, you know, I mean, is it, is it fun to work here? I'm sure it is. It's a dumb question. But get to watch the distillers just kind of do what they want. That is that is correct. What I will tell you is that I've already today needed to QC check something, right? So I've <laughs> already, I've already uh, imbibed a little bit today. But you know, honestly, th there is a, a very serious QC check process. When we do release something to the general public, we do have, you know, a variety of KO members who are a part of that to make sure that what we're putting out is a quality spirit every single time and it's matching the quality from the time before. Right. Um, so to your point, we did release the gin initially because it is a white spirit, meaning it does not need to age. We can release it to the, to the public right off the bat. And you need something if you're going to do everything from scratch. And so one of the things that really defines KO is the fact that we took the time to do everything from scratch. So here at KO Distilling, we start with 100% Virginia-based grain for all of our whiskeys. Cool. Um, we get our grain from Bay's Best Feed, uh, which is a farm on the northern neck of Virginia. That farmer will come back to the back of our building, basically uh, dump the grain right into an auger that fills up our silos and we're ready to go. Uh, we go through the whole process, which I would love to explain a little bit more in depth a little bit later, but we mill, mash, ferment, distill, barrel, bottle, everything right here on site. But that takes a lot of time, especially the barrel, the barrel aging process. And so in the meantime, we needed to have something to sell. Right. So we did start with our gins and we do have a white whiskey as well, just called Barnacle American Whiskey, uh, which is very good. Uh, if you want a moonshine margarita or um, a Manassas mule instead of a Moscow mule, sure, you can make you have something, a dynamic cocktail with that product as well. Cool. Um, but that was the baseline for our Barnacle Wheat Whiskey, which was the first age spirit that we actually started with. Um, and I'd love to tell you a little bit more about that spirit as well. Well, I, I think, and you probably abide by this too, is that, you know, your, your white spirits sort of, you know, pay the bills and then your white whiskey, you know, your white dog, if your white dog's not any good, putting it in a barrel and aging it is not going to make it any better. So uh, do you think there's a little bit of a quality improvement because you have such a hand on the process? This is much more of a smaller operation. It's locally sourced, locally grown. And it's kind of a, you know, every step of the way your your hands are touching the, the whiskey. Is that Does that add to the quality? Does it add to the story? Do you think the market's kind of changing to where people are kind of honing in on that and saying, you know, they're, they're a small local shop. I like that more than the big guys. Is there something to that? Yes, of course. Um, we are handcrafted through and through. We do, yep. we, we do have our hands in every single aspect. Um, and what I will tell you is when we do the white whiskey, we are using a different still than we use for our whiskey that we know we're going to have the time to age a little bit longer. Oh. Um, so giving you a little bit of background history, we started in 2015 producing spirits and we started on a 550 gallon Vendome hybrid pot and column still and that can produce at its maximum. We were, we were putting out about 225, 53 gallon barrels every year. Okay. Um, but we realized very quickly that our dreams were a lot bigger than that. And so in 2017, only two years after starting, we actually expanded to 12 inch, 30 foot column still beer column still. Uh, and that is a Vendome 
uh, 30-foot Vendome beer column still. So by the word beer, you know that our heart is in the whiskey, right? right. We're not making vodka, we're making whiskey. <laughs> um, but when you're producing something like a, a white spirit, uh, Bare Knuckle American whiskey, it has to be good to drink right up front. The beauty of having multiple stills is you can have your distiller basically taste that as it's coming off. And the process of cuts, heads, hearts, and tails, is going to be much more tasting and, and feel as opposed to a column where it's going to be a little bit more automatic. Right. And one of the beauties of that column still is kind of like a broadsword. You can do a lot of you can do a lot with it. Um, we have a lot of technology that helps us do what we do. Part of the coolness of the pot still is that it's a little bit more you're in the driver's seat. You you are the one making the cuts because you're tasting something. And so um, the white spirit is still produced to this day on the pot still. Wow. Uh, and initially, our Barnacle Wheat Whiskey, which we released at 12 months old, which now looking back seems like such a young whiskey, <laughs> but we pr we produced that on the pot still with just the heart of hearts. So we left off all the heads, all the tails. So it didn't really have a lot of room to grow, but it was good right up front. And the way that we distill now has changed substantially in that we know we're going to take the time to give that four or five years or whatnot before it comes to fruition. Um, and so we can distill that differently, including parts of the tails and making sure that it has the room for its growth. So one of the one of the cool things about working here is watching that process change exactly what you were talking about. We do have as a small distillery, the ability to watch and learn and say, you know, let's make these changes. Barrel entry proof could be different and it could change the flavor or the style of distillation is going to help us to achieve something. And that's going to make the best whiskey possible. One of the things that the listeners are not going to be able to see, but I would encourage them to come and, and view with us here is the 30 foot continuous beer column still is taller than the building. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. So in 2017, we cut a hole in our, our ceiling. We crane lifted this still in, bolted it to the floor, and then built a doghouse over top of the building. And that's one of the things we talk about on the tour. You know, I take that for granted because I walk past it every day and I get to see this beautiful, you know, marvel. But basically, if that's not a show of our commitment to quality, I'm not sure what is. A lot of people would say, you know, the building's 20 foot tall. We're going to have to have a still that fits in the building. Here are the limitations. Whereas our founders really said, here's the still that's going to produce the best whiskey possible. How do we make this work? And so to answer your question, yes, as a young distillery, as a small distillery, even uh, even at our size, we do have the ability to play with things yeah. and to experiment and have fun and to find the best way to produce whiskey. How, I know you, you know, in your position, you're not specifically working on the whiskey itself, but it, was there much of a learning experience when that when they first came to, and made this? Was there a, a trial and error process of like, oh, this let's age this bourbon for 12 months or 40, 42 months or uh, that, you know, something doesn't work. This tastes like crap. How much of that was a you know, uphill battle for this small operation. So what I will what I will say is that our two founders, Bill Carlson and John Amaro, were very smart in hiring people who knew what they were doing. Gotcha. So one of the uh, one of my coworkers and a close friend of mine is Ryan Hendricks, who's our head distiller. Um, Ryan has a bachelor's in chemical physics and a master's in chemical engineering from Michigan State University. Uh, he has interned for Jim Beam and he uh, actually in college worked for Red Cedar, which was attached to MSU. Um, so he came to us with a lot of knowledge of the chemistry behind distillation and a passion for that as well. So what I would say is if we did not have somebody like that to help us get our start, we would have been fumbling around <laughs> saying, what the heck are we doing here? 
does this taste good? What, why is that, et cetera. But right. what Ryan brings to the table is a beautiful perspective, perspective from a chemistry point. Um, I love talking to Ryan sometimes. You know, I go into his office and ask how many barrels of a certain type do we have? And it turns into a 45 minute conversation about the tannic structure of whiskey. And <laughs> so, you know, it, it's wonderful actually hearing that wealth of knowledge. But if I ever need to understand why glass cracked in a certain way, I can ask him and he can say from, from a you know molecular level, here's what we're doing here. Or, hey, you know, why is it that the why is it that flocking occurs right in, in spirits that are non chill filtered or whatnot? Because sometimes people have questions about that type of thing. He is able to answer things from a chemistry perspective uh, that I think the majority of the population cannot. And so having having him has been uh, an asset in building the process to what it is. If that makes right. Sense. So I, I know you said you were you came from brewing as a home brewer. So, yes, my myself, my, my background was just in the home brewing side of the equation. So I knew a, a lot more about, you know, how you know, how beer is made and whatnot. And that's essentially what we're doing here. Yeah. Know? Beer's just unfinished whiskey. Right, yeah, that's true. And I'm kind of curious, were you a whiskey drinker prior or did this kind of, did this job make you a whiskey drinker? <laughs> more of the latter, okay. okay? So I was a whiskey drinker prior, but it was more like I tolerated whiskey. It wasn't something that I sought after. Sure. Um, as a craft beer drinker, I sought all different cool, interesting brews. Um, when I got here, I, I distinctly remember um, accepting the job and talking to a friend who is much more well-versed in whiskey. And he was asking me some pretty basic questions. And I remember thinking to myself, what have I gotten myself into? I have I know nothing about what I'm about to jump into. <laughs> but I think one of my strong suits is I try to be a sponge in any in all situations. I try to learn as much as possible. And one of the things that is actually surprising even to this day is how little some people know about distillation and what we have to go through in order to get a bottle of our, our delicious product in front of somebody, which makes it even more enjoyable to lead somebody on a tour and say, here are the steps that we always go through in order to make the best product possible. Here's how the system actually works behind the curtain. So as much of a novice as I was before KO, I've grown into somebody who knows quite a bit because I've asked all those questions. And I would encourage any and all listeners to ask as many questions as possible, um, especially on on tours and whatnot. That's what we're here to do. We want to teach. All right. Yeah. I, speaking of that, not to give away any trade secrets, um, so don't do that. But is there anything unique that KO is doing in the distillation process or the production process that sets you apart from other places that you've seen? Because I know distillation is a science, right? So <clears throat> there's not much room to play there. but what I would say is that KO distilling takes the time to do things the traditional way. Okay. Right. So every distillery is going to have its own distillery character. Um, so if we gave our recipes to another distillery and they were to use the times and temperatures and the equipment that they have, it would result in a different whiskey. Right. So in addition to having people who understand kind of the chemical properties of what's going on, it, there is a process and procedure that we have that is going to be very hard for other people to replicate. And I think specifically to those here in Virginia, we are one of the larger distilleries within Virginia. Um, so what I would say is if you go through the process and I list for you, you know, the equipment that we use, the process and the procedure that we use, um, you'll get a better understanding of how we actually produce our product. And all of that combined is really where the distillery character comes into play. I will also tell you, we go high end on everything. So we use a, a Vendome still or Vendome stills. We use Kelvin Cooperage barrels. Um, we use 
we, we try to go as high end on everything as we can. Um, and so I think that kind of sets us apart as well. Yeah. But we take time to do things right. We go the traditional route. We age in 53 gallon barrels as opposed to doing small barrels, which, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. That comes with its own complications and, and challenges and that type of thing as well. Um, the other thing is we are very transparent and honest about what we do here. Um, I will, when I'm on a tour, basically show pretty much everything that we do here. And so I hope that as we talk today, I can share some of those things and go through the process, kind of a, a verbal tour of our distillery so that you can understand what that distillery character actually looks like. Yeah, absolutely. I, and there's, <clears throat> I'm sure there's much more room for you guys to grow too. Is there, is there a plan to get bigger and bigger with distribution or are you trying to stay just local in Virginia? What's the, uh, what, what is the five-year, 10-year plan for KO? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the distribution before the last couple of years has been Virginia, DC, Delaware, and Maryland. Okay. Okay. So just kind of, um, mid-Atlantic. However, uh, we are working with a group called the Independent Distributors Network or IDN, and our products are now actually available in Massachusetts and Connecticut, in Missouri, in Minnesota, and Michigan. So to varying different levels, but we are working with different distributors who kind of reflect some of the same values and craft that we do as well. So we're really looking for for growth in certain mar markets or whatnot. It's been an eye-opening experience in the last year, understanding the different liquor laws in every single state. Yeah. Before I was the director of sales, I was the sales and marketing director for Virginia. So I'm very well versed on how Virginia works, but Virginia is not the norm. There is no norm. It's, it's different <laughs> for every single state. And so it's interesting, you know, trying to work with different distributors or brokers and, um, and the level of enthusiasm, the level of what they're able to do, what we're able to do, how much boots on the ground we need to have in order to be successful. So I do believe that our, our goal is to expand, but I think what we're going to do is instead of expanding as, as rapidly as possible, we want to be very strategic about that and find partners who are going to help us to grow, um, knowing that we produce a great product that they can then sell as well. Gotcha. Well, before we uh, cheers to that with a first sample, because mm -hmm. I'm obviously I'm getting thirsty looking at these bottles. But um, have, has has there been any talk about maybe doing something other than whiskey or gin? Have you thought about doing a vodka or a brandy or any kind of experimental runs down the road? That's a good question. The reason why we've shied away from vodka is because really a lot of the point of vodka is to take flavor out, right? Right. And so that is the that's why the direction was towards gin as opposed to vodka. So I do not see us doing a vodka. For our gin, um, we use a uh, grain neutral spirit uh, that is purchased. And I tell people it's kind of like a blank canvas. Mm -hmm. What we do is a secondary distillation with all those beautiful botanicals we talked about earlier in order to paint the picture that is that <laughs> gin. So vodka, I think we wouldn't have that ability to do. Brandy might be something kind of interesting. I will say that I, I feel like the market for whiskey is a lot greater than the market for brandy. And I think one of the things that we've kind of shown is we want to we want to be the best at what we do, as opposed to a jack of all trades that does a little bit of everything, if Over, that makes sense. Overstretched. Right. We want when you the taste bare uncle whiskey or distiller reserve whiskey for you to say that is the best whiskey that I've tasted in Virginia and you know, the, the country. I, I don't know. The sky's the limit, but I think we want to specialize in in whiskey, and that's really where our heart is at the moment. That's, that's a great mm -hmm. answer. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of distilleries out there who are, I think, sometimes are overstretched, but I think they learn along the way. A lot of smaller places than even KO that, that we're going to try all the things, and that's great. But 
you learn pretty quickly that the market right now is weird too. Bourbon is king. Yep. You hear the word bourbon, you think, oh, it's, it's a lot of people, I, even my friends I talk to, it's like, well, you like bourbon. Do you like whiskey? <sighs> okay. <laughs> Sit down. Let's, ha let's have a conversation. Okay. <laughs> so what do you think you're saying by, <laughs> yeah, yes. right. Yep. So, oh, that's cool. Well, okay. So what's, what, what should we try first? So we talked earlier about our white whiskey. Yep. So what I wanted to do is to not necessarily try the white whiskey, but talk about why we started where we did and maybe kind of, um, taste down the line of kind of our history. So we're going to be tasting a timeline, so to speak. Cool. So our Barnacle Wheat Whiskey uh, is the first product that I'd like to, to try. It is the aged version of our um, white whiskey. OK, so this is going to be primarily wheat, 60% uh, wheat, 30% rye, 10% malted barley. What that does is it provides some beautiful sweetness right up front, almost a butterscotch right up front, spice on the back, very easy drinking. Really beautiful to, to sip neat, but it's great in a tipsy Palmer instead of an Arnold Palmer sure. or a uh, whiskey ginger, all of your kind of classic, you know, just easy summertime drinking. A lot of Irish whiskey drinkers will actually gravitate towards Barnacle Wheat Whiskey as well. Okay. But again, butterscotch up front, spice on the back, really nice, easy drinking. Um, when you look at our bottle too, um, the front gives you a lot of information about the actual spirit. If you flip it around to the back, you can actually see a little ring card girl holding up a, um, a card that will say aged and then it's blank with months. Oh, that's cool. Yes. So what's what's cool is when you're you know at the liquor store or here at KO Distilling, when you buy a bottle, you flip it around, you can see that the one we're going to be tasting here is 44, aged for 44 months. That gives you a better understanding of what we're actually tasting. Like I said, this product was initially Thank aged you. at 12, 12 months, which now looking back was a very young age, <laughs> but it was distilled differently at that time. Uh, this one is going to be column distilled, aged for 44 months. For any any listeners who are following our footsteps and tasting our product, I always like to say you want to nose first, take a sip, let your mouth acclimate. On your second sip is where you're going to get a lot of your beautiful flavors. But again, look for that butterscotch up front, spice on the back, beautiful, easy drinking. Well, cheers. Cheers. Thank you. A lot of wheat whiskeys, too. <clears throat> wheat whiskey can vary quite a bit. And <clears throat> one of the things that I really like is the fact that there has been a change in the marketplace where there are more wheat whiskeys now. It's an underutilized style. People are familiar with bourbon, obviously, mm. familiar with rye, even if they don't necessarily know exactly what it is. Rye seems to be a little bit more in the title. Wheat whiskey is as well. So wheat whiskey is just going to be a whiskey primarily of wheat. That's very Butterscotch. I mean, probably it's, it's a referential bias, but you said butterscotch and this this is it's a very strong butterscotch, but that spice kind of takes over at the end and makes it a nice rounded finish and it doesn't stick too much in your mouth. Yep. But it's full body. And I think this would be like you said, great in a cocktail. Mm -hmm. It's got a strong back. Yep. Oh, it's good. I'm exploring more with wheat whiskeys, too, because wheat whiskeys starting to grow a little bit more. It is. But what I what I like to tell people is. I feel like the Barnacle Wheat Whiskey is the hidden gem of our line. It gets overshadowed by some of the other spirits that people are more familiar with. Sure. So if you're looking to get something that's classic, go for the bourbon. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're looking for something, it's almost like a bourbon light. It's going to give you something a little bit more unique. Again, instead of those caramels and vanillas, you're going to get a little bit more butterscotch up front, but you still have the rye. So you get that beautiful spice. Barnacle Wheat Whiskey is the way to go. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That, that, that would uh, that would turn a normal bourbon novice on their head and go, mm -hmm. oh, 
And I love that. I love that, you know, science of the brain. Um, but yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, you did you pointed out the the card girl with the numbers and that's all handwritten on there for it how is. many months? That's very cool. Is that a sweet spot that you found for this batch? Is it, you know, can it be 46 months? Can it be 42 months? How does that fluctuate? So currently what you can find, we, we have parameters that we've set for ourselves uh, from a quality assurance perspective we kind of talked about earlier. Yeah. Right now, right now what you're going to find is something in between the three to four year range of all of our small batch spirits. So we have our small batch um, wheat whiskey, the uh, barnacle wheat whiskey. We have barnacle bur uh, bourbon and we have barnacle rye whiskey. Those are all small batch spirits, and those are going to be in the three to four year range, something in that range. Um, with Distiller's Reserve, which is, are the other whiskeys we're going to try today, that is a bottled and bond product, which means obviously it has to be more than four years. Right. It has a, a wider range, and really it's more about us taste testing and picking the best one because it's Distiller's Reserve. Right. right. Reserving the best for that spirit. Um, we also do have single barrel and cast strength iterations of all of these spirits. Um, those are going to fit within the kind of 54 to 58 month range. So four to four and a half month, uh, four, to, four to four and a half year rather range. Um, and we also do have our Barnacle High Rye Bourbon, which is the only source product that we've we've um, tackled. We'll kind of talk about that later if you wanted to, but Barnacle High Rye Bourbon is, is phenomenal. That is starting at six years. So we have a, again, a single barrel and a cast strength iteration, and that's uh, sitting between six and seven. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So next up is the bourbon. Um, in, instead of going the bourbon, yeah, please. I normally go for rye first and then go to the bourbon. Okay. You can do it either direction, but that kind of follows the timeline. So gotcha. we released the wheat whiskey back in 2016, right? So we started in 2015. We waited at least a year, went for the wheat whiskey. In 2017 is when we released the rye whiskey. And the rye whiskey is, I think, the one that you've actually tried before. Is yes. that correct? Yep. I have so, a Finished a couple bottles of that. <laughs> yes, there you go. So the thank you. Barnacle Rye Whiskey mash bill is very easy to remember. Just 100 percent rye, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> the interesting thing about this product is we initially were thinking about doing 100 percent rye for a product, 100 percent wheat, 100 percent corn, and then have some way of doing a you know proprietary blend that somebody could come in and do with us. <clears throat> the problem is we didn't really fully understand what the law allowed for or not at that time. Right. <laughs> so that did that did basically have us kind of changing our perspective. And we had already made the 100 percent rye and it came out really well. Uh, it's it's fantastic. You don't always get 100 percent rye, but again, it's 100 percent Virginia based rye as well. So you're going to get that beautiful spice and pepperiness right up front <clears throat> undertones of kind of heavier caramel or a little bit of maple. And some beautiful cinnamons in there, some vanillas, just really well balanced. And that's one of the things that I think really stands out about Barnacle Rye Whiskey is how well balanced it is for being 100% rye. Right. And what's the proof on this one? So all of our small batch spirits are going to be 90 proof. 90 proof. 90 proof. And the reason I asked that too, and, and I, 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 I'm familiar with this, and that, that rye is just, it's it's a perfect uh, balance of rye and sweetness to me. And you don't get 100% rye off of that, and it is 100% rye. But I asked about the, the, the strength of the whiskey, because a lot of times you have a rye that's spicy, and then it's 95, 100 proof, 
and that that spiciness and that and that strength of the alcohol kind of tricks your brain. It goes, "Ooh, this is kind of hot. A little too much going on." But this, I think, that's a perfect balance of what you got going on here. What I will tell you as well <clears throat> is. I mentioned we have cast strength iterations of all of our products. Right. Our barrel entry proof is about 120. And coming out, the cast strength iterations are about at about 120 as well. Uh, in the past, we've seen them go up a little bit. So our cast strength iterations will be sitting somewhere in the 120 to 125, 128 range. We've had some outliers a little bit higher. But bare knuckle rye whiskey cast strength was the first of our spirits to win a double gold at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Very so cool. I think our rye whiskey is definitely a high high point of what we can do. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're if you're lucky enough to find that at your ABC store, you're definitely gonna have that. Yeah, that's that's very good. And like I mentioned too, for any listeners who are in DC or Maryland or Delaware, <clears throat> we do have liquor stores all over those territories that do have the product, um, as well as the emerging markets, those who are just building. Um, what I would encourage anybody to do is if you can't find a product, go to our website, kodistilling.com, or ask your local liquor store, hey, can you get this product? And that will kind of work its way back to us. We'll, we'll try to facilitate that. But yeah, yeah Barnacle Rye Whiskey is, is phenomenal. We did um, we did a couple years back actually uh, get awarded by, I believe it was the manual, um, the best rye whiskey in America for oh. a single barrel variation of that as well. Wow. Now, I don't know if they tried every single rye whiskey in America. <laughs> if they did, I wish I was a part of that team because that sounds like a, an awesome challenge. But yes, yeah, so the, the, the bare knuckle rye whiskey has definitely gotten a, a number of awards and accolades and is, is well worth a try. Yeah, well, like I told you off off uh, Mike, that, that that was the first one of the first whiskeys, local whiskeys that I tried when I moved out here. And and you had asked me what drew me to it. It really was just the locality and also the, the I like the rugged look of the label and the fighter on the label and KO kind of looked neat. The branding was, uh, you know, attention grabbing. And I tried it. It was like probably one of the best rides I've ever had. And I, I'm a gun to my head. I'm a scotch guy. I love scotch, but I'm coming much more around on bourbon. And so I, you know, I drink a lot of bourbon. My dad loves bourbon. We like bourbon together. But then rye is a whole other category that's kind of the undersung hero that hasn't really had its heyday yet. It's 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 starting to rise a little bit more. But since prohibition, it's kind of been a you know not as beefy as bourbon has been. And I find these little craft distilleries like Ko that has a phenomenally made rye that mm -hmm. just blows any bourbon out of the water for me. Um, so kudos. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I will say Ryan's had an interesting past. Obviously. <clears throat> Rise had kind of heydays and then low points and whatnot. And it's gone through a lot of, um, it's gone, it, rye whiskey in general has kind of gone through like a value fluctuation. Right. That's the best way that I could put it. In, in the colonial time frame, that was the drink of choice. Yep. Um, late, later after Prohibition basically became kind of what people associated with rot gut. Now with the craft, craft uh, distillation revolution, a lot of people are producing some really good rise, ourselves included. Now some of the best stuff. And it it does compete with some of the, the higher end bourbons as well. And uh, as much as I said earlier, basically whiskey drinkers come to us and leave with gin. Yeah. I find the same thing is true with bourbon specific groups um, coming in and doing barrel selects with us. Try the rye whiskey and say, you know what? Maybe we need to deviate from, from bourbon here and actually do the rye whiskey in addition to the bourbon or something like that. Sure. So mm -hmm. no, that's great. What's what's your favorite um, of these here? Probably, fr frankly, the Distillers Reserve is really kind of where where I'm at. Um, but when, when you're talking about like the bourbon versus rye mash bill, um, I am much more traditionally a bourbon drinker. 
but I really love our ride. So, <laughs> um, so I will say my, my heart is kind of with the rye at the, at the moment here. Um, but our bourbon is fantastic as well. And like I said, I'm normally a bourbon drinker. So if I'm sipping something at home, it's either distiller's reserve bourbon or distiller's reserve rye. Um, there's nothing wrong with the other products as well. But if I want a cocktail, I'll, I'll definitely graduate or, or I'll, I'll kind of gravitate towards the bare knuckle uh, rye whiskey. If I wanted like a Manhattan bare knuckle bourbon, if I'm looking for something like an old fashioned, very versatile. Gotcha. Well, I mean, hey, I drink all whiskey, so I don't have a favorite. <laughs> Uh, what's next? <clears throat> All right. So next up, I'm going to go ahead and do our bare knuckle bourbon whiskey. Um, this, and I should have described these as I'm going here too. So if people are looking for them, but on the, the bare knuckle wheat whiskey, we have the red stripe at the top. Ah, uh, yes. Um, it's a Caucasian male fighter. Uh, he is Jimmy Gardner. Uh, so an Irish American, um, fighter or rather, rather an Irish fighter in America fought in the Boston area on the bare knuckle rye whiskey. We have Jack Johnson. Mm-hmm. who is the first African-American heavyweight champion of the world. Um, and it has a teal stripe at the top. Um, the fighter on our Barnacle Bourbon is actually a female fighter named Texas Mamie Donovan, who is probably pound for pound the best fighter in her age, uh, in her time frame, which would be late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, but she never actually crossed the pond to fight in England. And there were there were world champions that could have been claimed elsewhere as well. Right. So we tried to represent a diverse group of different fighters. Um, the idea of the fighters, before I actually jump into Bare Knuckle Bourbon, really comes from a play on KO, right? And we were talking about this off uh, mic a little bit earlier, but KO Distilling is obviously our two co-founders, Bill Carlson and John O'Meara, but we like to say think knockout, right? <laughs> it's a natural natural thing to, to, to think. All of the fighters actually come from Turkey Red's cards. Now, in the same way that you might eat cereals and send in box tops, cereal box tops for school supplies. Back in the 1930s, you would do the same thing with cigarettes and you would send them in for boxing cards. Right. So all of these are are vintage fighter cards that have been turned into parts of the label. And um, Jack Johnson and Jimmy Gardner did actually have Turkey Reds labels. Um, Texas Mamie Donovan did not, right? So female fighters in that time frame were not really uh, held to the same esteem. What we did is we found a newspaper clipping from the late 1800s of her, pulled that image out and put it onto uh, one of the other Turkey Reds cards, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, if you notice, it says round four yep. in the in the background. We, we chose that Turkey Reds card specifically because it is our fourth whiskey. We had our white whiskey, wheat, rye, bourbon. So there's a lot on our labels that actually have significance that you may not ever really notice unless you come talk to us. And that's Part of the reason why I love having people here at the distillery so we can kind of show exactly who we are. We're very thoughtful in the way that we kind of approach both our whiskey, but also our branding and whatnot, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Miracle bourbon. So a lot of people are surprised by bourbon in Virginia, right? (laughs) You may not be, but for anybody listening, basically bourbon can be produced anywhere in the United States. However, 95% of all bourbon is coming from Kentucky. Kentucky is owed its due, right? (laughs) But we're part of that 5% outside of Kentucky. And I think that's phenomenal. There's a lot of really great things about Kentucky, which means great bourbon. They have awesome agriculture. They have phenomenal water. And they have the changing of the seasons. They have hot summers. They have cold winters. It's great whiskey weather. Well, here in Virginia, we have hot and cold sometimes in the same day, right? <laughs> we have great agriculture. We have great water. We have the changing of the seasons. So here in Virginia, you can produce some really delicious spirits, specifically bourbon here as well. And I think that surprises some people. 
Um, but it opens up the opportunity to talk about what is bourbon and what makes bourbon. So this is going to be 70% corn, uh, or excuse me, yeah, 70% corn, 20% wheat, 10% malted barley. Okay. So it's a weeded style of bourbon. Another thing that a lot of people ask us about or don't really fully understand is weeded versus rye bourbon. Uh, a lot of people will kind of see the wheat whiskey and say, oh, I've tried wheat whiskeys and then name off weeded bourbons. So bourbon has to be that primarily corn with wheat as the secondary grain as opposed to wheat whiskey, which is primarily going to be wheat. But in a weeder or a weeded bourbon, you're going to get those softer notes. Instead of the spice, you're going to get the sweetness with a, a more mild sweetness as well. So caramels and vanillas, oakiness. The beauty, beauty of barnacle bourbon is you get almost a little bit of banana nut bread, mm. hint of banana, hint of walnut, beautiful breadiness. It's all coming together. Really beautiful. So I'm, I'm excited for you to try this one here. Yeah, I am too. <clears throat> I haven't had too many weeded bourbons in... in I, I'm slowly growing that palate, um, and one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, notes, nose, both nose and palate, is baking spices mm -hmm. in a bourbon. Um, you know, you, there's a lot of bourbons out there that are you know high in corn. You got your your caramels and your vanillas and your toffee, and you know, and that's great. But sometimes it gets a little bland. So I like complexity. So I think again, the, the thing that kind of stands out to me is that. Kind of hint of banana nut bread right in the middle. You get caramels and vanillas up front, oakiness, baking spices, everything we're talking about here, but just a hint of banana nut bread. On the back, a lot of people will get like a popcorn or kind oh. of peanut or whatnot. A lot of times you'll pop popcorn and peanut oil, which is why there's association between popcorn and peanut as well. Yeah, I think that's the buttery note that I'm getting. It's very uh, kind of sticks on the tongue a little bit too. Mmm. Well, if you think the think about the oil that is produced from corn, that's one of the, the characteristics about bourbon that's, that's beautiful is that sometimes it's a little bit more viscous and kind of sticks with you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because you're telling me it, Rico, because I'm actually tasting it, but that banana note is very strong. For the next two, I'm going to have to give you try it. You tell me what you think, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, what I think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But isn't that interesting? And it's not an overwhelming banana. No. Sometimes when I say that, people are like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm about to get into. It's not going to be a banana whiskey. Oh, right, right. Just a hint. But, and I, I do I do love kind of dissecting different flavor notes when I'm tasting things to say, okay, well, there may be a hint of banana, but there's also a hint of walnut and breadiness. What does that all combine into? So, you know, it's a, it's a banana nut bread, right? Right. Uh, and I think that, <clears throat> the other thing that's important to understand is that the tasting notes that you taste may be different than somebody else. You may both be accurate, but it's accurate to what your palate has discovered and understands. Sure. So if if you're somebody who eats a lot of creme brulee, you might taste creme brulee because there's airy vanillas and caramelized sugar and whatever else. If somebody who's never had creme brulee, they're not going to taste those things. They might just say, oh, that's vanilla. That's, you know, a caramel candy or something or other that they've tasted. So... It is interesting how different palettes will pick up on different things, how you can send the exact same bottle to two different competitions and you get vastly different notes back. Yeah. And one of the things I've been I've been very um, forthcoming about, especially with this podcast and talking to people, people know that I'm the whiskey guy in the family and friend group. But, uh, you know, don't, don't don't get discouraged listening to, you know, you and I nerd out about different tasting notes or you read something online from, you know, a, a review that says, oh, you get all these different tastes and all you get is, you know, well, it tastes like bourbon. It tastes like vanilla. Don't worry about that. 
Don't worry about refining your palate. Enjoy the whiskey. If it's sweeter, if it's not as sweet, if it's drier, not as dry, kind of go there. And you know what? Good, what's good in a cocktail? What complements different flavors? Don't get discouraged and don't feel like you have to be a nerd about it. And <clears throat> if you are trying to build that palate, you got to do your homework. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> you you, you got to go out and taste different things. You got to try different things, and you know, you got to make sure your palate is able to say yes. There's some alcohol there, but there's some other flavors, right? And the more that you try, the more you're able to to relate. Um, I would encourage people to, to try other things too. Try different candies or you know fruits or whatnot. If you hear people talking about you know jackfruit or whatnot, which is what we're going to talk about in just a second with the the Silver Reserve Rye, go try some jackfruit. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Try try some different things to see if you can relate uh, to to different whiskeys. At the end of the day, you like the whiskey or not, right? right. <laughs> and <clears throat> I do tell people a lot of times if you're tasting versus drinking, there are some differences between those two. When I'm sitting in the office at you know, 1030 in the morning and we have to go through a QC process, a quality control process, I'm not drinking. I'm, <laughs> I'm tasting something that ensure that the quality is, is comparable. Um, but a lot of a lot of people at the end of the day just want to drink. Right. Right. And do you enjoy the whiskey? That's really all that that matters. Um, so it, it's interesting dealing with a variety of different people who have different palates. Some people are very high end on their palate and they're like, I've developed this for years. I've <laughs> tried everything. And that's that's fine. There's no issue with that. But yeah, please don't be discouraged if your palate is. I do taste some vanilla, some caramel. I really like this, but I'm not sure why exactly. Right. And that's actually part of the beauty of the complexity of whiskey and specifically, you know, bourbon um, is sometimes you're tasting things. and You're like, I can't place it. But sometimes that's actually part of the fun is trying to figure out what am I actually tasting? Yeah, no, I, hey, I can't agree more. And I, I mean, part of this, too, is, you know, I, I the reason why I like a lot of these things is because of the story I hear about the background of KO and what you guys do and what you care about and the quality and the, you know, the enthusiasm that you're giving me about each spirit that makes me like it more. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame in that, but you know, show, highlighting you and giving this out to the world and say, Hey, try this because these guys are doing something cool. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about it too. And yep. obviously the community that, you know, whiskey brings us together. So anyway, shall we go to the reserves? Cause we should. So I'm we, interested. We so far have tasted bare knuckle wheat whiskey, bare knuckle rye whiskey, bare knuckle bourbon. Yep. Um, again, all of these are going to be available in, in ABC stores and liquor stores across the, the ranges we've talked about, but the, <clears throat> the more high end variations are going to be distillers reserve. <clears throat> these are all bottled in bond. Um, and I, I want to talk a little bit about bottle and bond if yeah. that's okay. Um, so bottle and bond goes back to 1897 to the bottle and bond act. And essentially, it was the government saying, we want to give a certification to make sure when people are drinking something that says bottle and bond, you know exactly what you're getting. In order to be a bottle and bond product, it's essentially a federal government regulation or certification that says one distiller has made this in one distilling season, it has been aged for no less than four years, and it's bottled exactly at 100 proof, right? Um, and in today's day and age, it's kind of come full circle, whereas before... You know, it was to ensure people weren't putting spittoon juice or something. Turpentine. Pr prune, prune juice if you're being good or spittoon juice if you weren't necessarily. <laughs> and you did have a lot of distilleries who were selling distillate that didn't come out to other people who were doing things to it to resell. So anyway, none of that here today. But um, but it's kind of come full circle because we are a craft distillery. This is a certification that we have done this ourselves because it has to be one distiller and one distilling season. Age for no less than four years, 100 proof. You get the best of what a distillery has to offer, and it's an equal playing field, as opposed to different proofs, different finishes, different whatever else. Um, so bottle and bond has, has become important there. 
Distillers Reserve, really the intention there was to recognize that in Virginia, we have 400 years of distillation history, which is kind of cool. In 1620, it was the first written record of distillation within the New World. And guess what? That happened right here in Virginia. Um, so in 2020, prior to 2020, we, we recognized that that was a unique milestone. And our founders, uh, specifically Bill Carlson, said, you know, we're, we're going to start putting some stuff away to make sure we can release Distillers Reserve, what is we consider the best of the best that we have to offer in a bottled and bond uh, iteration for people to really enjoy. That's cool. And if you read the back of the label, right, our romance copy on the back of all these labels kind of reiterates what I'm talking about here. But we released this in 2020. In 2021, that won a double gold in the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Mm -hmm. So it's not just us saying, hey, this is really good. <laughs> the following year, we had released our Distillers Reserve Rye Whiskey as a, as a counterpart. And uh, that was in 21. It was released in 22, won double gold in the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. So um, I, I, like to, I like to say we have great spirits, but I want other people to know we have great spirits as well. <laughs> I would encourage anybody to try it themselves and to see what they're, what they're tasting. Of course. So I'm, I'm going to pour our Distiller Reserve bourbon first. Okay. This is a no less than four-year product. Thank you. And I did want to mention that we've had two iterations of this that have been a six-year product. Oh. Unfortunately, we are completely sold out because it was very popular. But in September, um, we did have a sale going on. For anybody out there who is um, in Virginia, Virginia's... Uh, September is uh, Virginia Spirits Month, right? Yep. So there's usually a lot of cool things going on in September. Already passed this year, but next year, Virginia Spirits Month, September, mark it on your calendars. Um, we did release a Distillers Reserve six-year, which had some additional really beautiful notes. We can talk more about that. But let's talk about what we have right, right here in front of us. Is this the same mash as the other bourbon? It is. Okay. So same, same mash bill. It's going to be that 70% um, corn, 20% wheat, 10% malted barley. Um, I would be very happy to give you the tasting notes, but would you like to go ahead and taste, yeah. see, see what you, what you think? You, you let me know. Ooh. Oh, how different. I'm glad I left some of the other bourbon in there so I can, I, I want to go back to that, but, um, It's got a little bit more spice than the other bourbon, but it's pleasant. I'm getting a lot of like a leathery tobacco on that, and that's probably the age. Um, a lot of the wood sugar in there, uh, but that banana note to me is gone. That's interesting. What is it replaced by? Is there anything? To me, the banana note is gone. Yeah. But it's replaced by another type of fruit. And again, this is not meant to be a right or wrong answer. You can taste whatever you're going to taste. What I'm about to say when I when I kind of give you my thoughts is really only because these are the things that I've been tasting and I can relate to. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not placing it. Go ahead. So in in my estimation, when I taste this, I get that beautiful caramels and vanillas, mm -hmm. but it's evolving into English toffee, right? Oh, okay. so, the, so the biggest thing there is an English toffee where it was just kind of caramels and vanillas before. You do get some of the same baking spices. In the middle, I get an apricot. Okay. Ooh. So stone fruit, apricot. And on the back end, I want you to look for a little bit more chocolate notes and toasted almond. So chocolate and toasted almond. Kind of like a baker's chocolate, semi-sweet. 
Yeah, I was going to say that that bitter note is probably what I'm getting. Um, so there's some sweetness, but some bitterness there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not getting much apricot, but I, I can see where you're getting that. That's interesting. Sometimes in the sixth year, what I found is cherry had taken over instead of apricot. Oh, so sometimes some of these uh, and, and if you think about apricot and cherry, both are stone fruit, right? Right. So cherry had taken over and it was almost like a spice cake, right? Mm -hmm. Like like uh, you would make <clears throat> in the fall time. One of my favorites, and that's probably why I gravitated towards that. So you had ginger in there. You had, you know, nutmeg and whatnot. You know what comes to mind? Fig. Fig. OK, that's what I get on this. Yep. Quite a bit. Oh, that's good. Well, and and that's the beauty, too, is if you're eating fig, if, if that's what your reference is, that's what you're going to pick up on. Right. Whereas if I'm eating apricot, that might be what I'm picking up on. But that's the beauty of a complex whiskey is you taste it and you say, oh, there's something there. I need to figure it out. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's part, part of the fun of tasting or drinking with purpose as opposed to just drinking. Drink. <laughs> right. Right. And so we, we we like to say drink KO responsibly. Right. <laughs> drink KO responsibly, um, which really is enjoy your whiskey. Enjoy what you're drinking. Don't drink more. Just drink better. Yeah. Right. I think that's a good that's a good point. Um, no, that, that's great. And I think that's it. That was a, a genius side by side because the the. the your your normal bourbon is complex by itself, but that extra aging and and quality, you can taste that. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, thank so, you. So yeah, cool. Now we have the rye. Yes. So our Distillers Reserve Rye Whiskey again is the third of our products. The second of our rye whiskeys to win a double gold mm -hmm. in the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Beautiful complexity, same exact mash bill as our Barnacle Rye Whiskey, <clears throat> but as Distillers Reserve. We're a lot, we have a lot more scrutiny on which barrels we choose in order to maintain the quality, if that makes sense. So would you like to do the same thing where you, you uh, yeah. taste test? You tell me what you, you're tasting and then I'll give you my thoughts. Oh, tastes like a rye. <laughs> <laughs> little citrus going on there. The hell is that? That rye spice is so mellowed compared to the other the previous rye mm -hmm. and again probably because of the aging process but um it's very fruited almost like a, like i'm getting a lot of citrus and red berry on that it's very good i don't know i don't want to keep sounding like an idiot but because you know that <laughs> well again there's no right or wrong answer it's really just <clears throat> what i'm tasting versus what you're tasting and I encourage other people to taste and try for themselves as well. And frankly, like like I've said multiple times before, a complex whiskey will have you coming back to it and say, what exactly is that? And that's not a bad thing. That's a very good thing. Yeah, not at all. I think this one definitely has a much more of a uh, a sweeter rice spice to it. And mm -hmm. it's, it, it almost has like a, the viscosity is, is almost akin to your bourbon. Mm -hmm. It almost ups it. Uh, but I can't place the sweetness that I'm getting. <clears throat> so for me, basically, that spice has evolved into more of like a peppercorn. Okay. Right? So it's defined itself. And when I think of flavors, I think of kind of the fracturing of flavors mm. where you have caramel, right? Caramel may go into coffee or maple or, you know, something else. So it's fracturing. So the spice that you're tasting in bare knuckle rye whiskey has evolved into kind of more of like a peppercorn right up front. Not overwhelming. Um, I do still get that kind of 
undertone of maple, right? Yep. Maple, I think, is a great way of describing that. A heavy caramel may be another good way to describe that. Beautiful kind of warm vanilla glaze and caramel and um, almost like a ginger snap, right? <clears throat> That's what that is. I'm getting ginger, too. Almost like a ginger snap. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I love about this is <clears throat> on the back end, you get this really slight hit and it dissipates quickly of a tropical note. Okay. And I think that might be kind of where you're talking about fruit. Yeah. Um, to me, if you've ever had juicy fruit gum, it's like a generic tropical. It's not any one given thing. And I mentioned jackfruit before. Yep. I am not a jackfruit connoisseur, but I've told I've been told by multiple people jackfruit is going to be as as close to replicating as juicy fruit gum. So I get that kind of hit of tropical note, and it's not one tropical fruit. Maybe it is jack jackfruit, um, but it's it's like a um, juicy fruit gum. And then on the back, look for a little bit of menthol, right? Not quite mint, menthol, right? There's slight difference between there, but there's a, a beautiful kind of array of different flavors. There. You're confusing my mind now. <laughs> I wish I knew jack jackfruit better. Um, it is interesting tasting with different people. Yeah, because some people appreciate me saying this, 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 this and this. But then their kind of their mindset is taste all of these things or look for all these things. Right. There are some groups or people who come in and say, I want to taste it just by itself. I want to figure it out for myself. There are other groups that say, tell me what I'm supposed to be tasting. I'm going to look for it. And I think that really kind of that might fall to how how confident you are within your taste palate and where you are on your whiskey tasting journey. Right. <laughs> like I said, the homework is really delicious. Right. If you're not quite there yet, keep keep tasting. Right. Don't don't taste more. Just taste better. But look for whiskeys that are going to give you complex flavors that you have to really kind of think about. What, am, what exactly am I tasting here? This is a really novel, interesting flavor set. That makes yeah. sense. Well, I, I will say your, your, your distillers reserves definitely earned their name as, as reserve for the best. They, uh, they are probably the most complex rise in bourbons I've, I've tried in, in, in a while. That's excellent. Um, and of course, if we could side by side every single whiskey that exists in the world, who knows what would happen? Well, maybe that needs to be the next podcast. That'd be, right? Oh, that'd be, hey, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I will say, I think I think I like the bourbon, the reserve bourbon more. Mm -hmm. But that rise, there's something to be said there. I, I really want to explore that more. So I'll definitely keep my eye out for that. And I, I, I'm i excited to bring this to my friends and, and, and show them. Because I, I have a plethora of friends who are also whiskey drinkers. We enjoy, I mean, this is what brings us, to, brings us together. Good whiskey drinkers have other good whiskey drinkers they know. That's yeah. right. Cigars, whiskeys, and campfires. That's what we do. There you go. <laughs> I love that. That'll be my Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, no, well, this is phenomenal. Um, I'm, so I'm curious now. You know, as we wrap up, we've done the tastings. These are these are these are great offerings you guys have. Have you guys gone in into any kind of R and D for cask finishes or stuff like that? Yeah, great question. So <clears throat> I think honestly, we're a little bit behind the eight ball as far as trying to do finishes. That is definitely something in our future. We are currently experimenting with some uh, double barrel finishes and some rum finishes. Okay. Um, I don't have anything to tell people. This is what to look for, if that makes <laughs> sense. A lot of that is kind of limited R&D, kind of interesting things, but may already have customers who are lined up for those types of things. 
Um, but I think in 2024, you're going to see us starting to play a lot more with finishing process. And that's something that for a very long time I've said, I really want to get into. <laughs> so I'm going to be excited when we do that. Yeah. The other thing that might be interesting um, that is not part of your question, but is kind of related is we have also put away a Bloody Butcher variation of a bourbon. So we have not released that product yet, but we've put away a certain number of barrels every year for the past, I want to say three to four years. Okay. So that is going to become a you know premium product at some point here. What's fun about that um, Bloody Butcher corn is we went completely different on the, the protocol that we normally do. So instead of a sweet mash, meaning starting, starting fresh every single time we, we did a sour mash, right? right? We did that on the pot still. We, you know, we, we did on purpose some of the things that set us apart. We did the exact opposite, right? Just to try some, some new and interesting things out. Um, but, but keep an eye out for, for bloody butcher corn coming from Kea distilling. <clears throat> what I will tell you is the best way to keep in contact with us and to stay up to date is we send out a monthly newsletter. We are very good about not sending out a lot of news. Um, in fact, we probably should be better about sending out more news. Um, but when we have, you know, breaking, breaking news, new product, or, you know, just a monthly newsletter, keeping people up to date, if you go to kodistilling.com, that's where you sign up for the newsletter. If you come into the distillery store, you can sign up for that right as you're <clears throat> checking out as well. But, but definitely, you know, sign up for the newsletter, keep in contact with us when we have the newest, greatest products coming out. We definitely like to keep our, our followers up to date. So that's the best way to stay in contact with us and know when that, you know, next next thing is going to come out. I look forward to it. I, I think, I mean, for what you alluded to for next year, I, I look forward to seeing what you guys are doing. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a consumer. I have two bottles at home that are half gone that yep. will be not staying around for much longer. Um, but I, uh, I do appreciate you having me here and telling me the story and uh, I'll be back. I, I I'm glad I'm, I'm in the space. Finally, I, I'm going to come back. Yeah. I don't live that far away. So, well, on that note, too, I, I do want to give a plug to our distillery store and, and the team that, that uh, works our distillery store. So uh, as much as customer experience director was the coolest title I ever had, <laughs> we have an awesome customer experience director who is not myself right now, who is leading that program, does a phenomenal cocktail program as well. So when people do come on site, which you can find, and like I said, the, the weekend is the best time to come see us. But you can, you know, come and try some cocktails with our products. You can do tastings of our products. Um, you can buy bottles, right? We're sitting in a uh, subset of an ABC store. So anything that you just tasted, you can actually purchase here and take home with you. We're always going to have the best selection right here on, on site. And all, over the weekends, we also do distillery tours. So verbally, what we kind of did today, but what I would love to do with any of your, your followers, listeners, is actually take them on a, a distillery tour so they can see exactly how we do what we do. Yeah. But here in Manassas, basically, we, we have this beautiful distillery store. We'd love to have as many people as possible. Yeah, well, I, I agree. It's a, it's a cool little space and it's very, very homey. I love it. Thank you. So, uh, well, Peter, thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure and uh, I'll be back. That's fantastic. We, we look forward to having you back. Sounds good, man. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The more reviews, the easier we are to find. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow us on social media so you never miss any of our updates. 
Be sure to share this episode with your friends and always be sure to drink responsibly. There are quite literally thousands of distilleries, so we're just getting started. Stay tuned for more conversations with master distillers, distillery owners, mixologists, and even bar owners, and more. Cheers. Cheers.